0: Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is uh, Sunday morning, the first day of the week, the day after the Jewish Sabbath. And we begin chapter 16 with three of Jesus' disciples. These three disciples followed Jesus into Jerusalem a week and two days prior. They were looking on from a distance when Jesus died on the cross. They followed Joseph of Arimathea and his servants as they brought Jesus' body to Joseph's tomb so that they could see where he was buried. Who were they? Was it Jesus' inner circle, Peter, James, and John? No, it was three women. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Jesus and Salome believed to be Mary the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John. And the reason why they were there was to see where Jesus was buried so that they could return after the Sabbath when they were allowed to buy spices in order to anoint his body. Uh, they went home to rest, then they returned as Jesus was also resting from his labors. At this point, they would have been grieved and in mourning. It would have seemed as if the sun had set for good. Darkness has come over all of Jesus' disciples as their master was laid in a tomb, and that tomb was sealed. Doubt would have set in for sure. But little did they know that, as Mark records here, It was the first day of the week, and what happens on this day was about to change history forever. The first day of the week was going to be a transition from death to life, from darkness to light, from old creation to new creation, from law to gospel, which means we go from being bound to being set free. This was going to mark the new Sabbath day. The old Sabbath was tied to the law and death, but this new Sabbath would be tied to the gospel good news of everlasting life with God. Just as in Genesis chapter 1, when God created all things, He began on the first day of the week. And He said, Let there be light. This is the first day of the week of God's new creation. And it says, when the sun had risen, these three disciples went to the tomb. And along the way, they expressed their doubts as they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? One obvious reason they would ask this question was because they weren't strong enough to move it on their own. But also they didn't expect what they were about to find. They expected the cave-like tomb to be sealed and Jesus' body to be inside where he was laid. Despite all of Jesus' teaching surrounding his own resurrection, they didn't expect it to actually happen. Now, this doesn't mean that they lacked in love or devotion, so they were still there to anoint his body. And as they were walking toward the tomb, they were most likely downcast and looking down while they were conversing because it says, and looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back and it was very large. It was about four and a half feet in diameter. In Matthew, it says that there was a great earthquake before they noticed the stone was rolled away. And when they walked into the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. According to the other accounts, this was an angel, and there was more than one present. This angel is described as a young man, meaning he had no corruption in his appearance, wearing a white robe. As Matthew says, his appearance was like lightning. Beloved, let us not... Uh, miss this because this gives us an image of heaven and heavenly bodies with no corruption in appearance. Forever young, like the song says. And it says when they saw this angel they were alarmed. Why? Because of the power of God that was present and emanating through this angel and the fact that that he was responsible for rolling this stone away. In fact, in Matthew, he says that two guards that were placed there to watch the entrance of the tomb trembled and became like dead men. This occasion ought to bring fear and awe to anyone who enters into the presence of such heavenly beings, such as angels. But what they didn't realize was that when this angel Rolled the stone away. The good news that was revealed inside the tomb was that sin and death has also been rolled away. Because what the angel reveals to them next was meant to calm their hearts and comfort their souls. This was a message from heaven, it was a message from God's throne. It is a message for us today, as it was for them back then. It was the gospel message that was once proclaimed by Jesus himself on five different occasions in Mark. And now this angel both makes a declaration and a confirmation. First, the declaration. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. It's funny when we note the different reactions in the other Gospels. In John's account, it seems as if Mary Magdalene did not listen to this angel. Because soon after, she seemed to be confused and out of awe and wonder. She thought that someone had moved his body or had stolen it. In fact, uh, this was the theory that the Jewish leaders came up with about the disciples. That is why Pilate would place two guards to guard the tomb from anyone who would attempt to steal the body. But this is not what happened. The angel told the women, He is risen. He is risen. The agony of the cross has now passed. Death has been rolled away. God never intended... To leave his son in the grave forever. This was to fulfill what it says in Psalm 16 verse 10. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your holy ones see corruption. The word risen here is in the passive form. Meaning someone other than Jesus was involved in his resurrection. In the New Testament the work of resurrection is Trinitarian. Trinitarian. It is a work of the Trinity. All three persons of the Trinity would be involved in Jesus' resurrection. Acts chapter 2 verse 24, Peter says that God, that is the Father, raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Paul says that the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, raised Jesus from the dead in Romans 8 verse 11. And in John 2.19, Jesus said, Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. Later he would say, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. Here he is risen by the power of God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and by his own divine nature, God the Son. And secondly there is confirmation. The angel gives them proof that he is risen by saying, see the place where they laid him. In John's account, it records how the linen cloth that they wrapped him in was lying there on the bench. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, was folded up in its own place to show them that he was risen. And as a perfect man that he is, after he rested in his bed he made it can't say that about myself but so what did this mean for his disciples remember his disciples fled the scene when Jesus was being arrested peter would go on to follow him as and they brought him before caiaphas where jesus was condemned to death There, Peter would also go on trial by the jury of his own peers, and he would deny Jesus three times. So his disciples were most likely in fear, downcast because they failed him, especially Peter. They were probably thinking that they were going to face judgment because they failed their master. But what does the angel tell the women to do? He said, do not be alarmed. But go tell his disciples and Peter, especially Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Notice how much love the Savior has for his disciples. Because the angel was saying to them, Go tell them that he is risen. Go, tell them that God has accepted His sacrifice and atonement for their sins. Go, tell them that their sins are forever forgiven. Although they fled, and although Peter denied his Savior, they have not been rejected for their sins. It's in the past. By the way, beloved, that is what the resurrection means for us all. All our sins, past, present, and future, are always in the past when we consider the resurrection. Because for His disciples, He has fought for them, He has won the battle for them, and He is going to meet with them in Galilee, where they will sit on a beach and eat fish together and break bread. There, Peter will face up to his failures. He will be forgiven. And he will be restored and charged to feed the sheep of Christ. And that is the same for us all on the day that we see our Lord and Savior face to face. But now I would like you to remember the important role of women in the last three chapters of Mark. And notice How the angel makes these women the first proclaimers of the gospel. As they were told to tell the disciples. What grace we find in this gospel. Although this was a message of grace. And although the angel told the women do not be alarmed with a message such as this one. From a being such as this one. How can you not be alarmed? In fact, after they heard this, they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone on the way to tell the disciples, for they were afraid. Why were they so afraid? Again, because they were eyewitnesses of the almighty power of God. This is the same power that the disciples witnessed when Jesus calmed the stormy sea. It is the same power when he was casting out demons and healing the sick. It is the same response we should all have in the midst of Christ's power and presence. Awe and fear of the Lord. And this will help us as we consider the characteristics of the resurrection itself. And what a great encouragement it is for our faith. As it is solid evidence that we are not without hope in this world. The resurrection is one of the most controversial doctrines of the Bible because it is the most difficult for the natural man to believe. But there is enough evidence to prove that he did rise from the dead. Because what do you need to prove anything in the court of law? Eyewitnesses. First, Consider that the first to see the empty tomb and hear the declaration from heaven that he was risen were women. In those days, in Israel, a woman's testimony would be inadmissible in the court of law. No one would have believed their testimony. This is true of our own nation just seven decades ago. If you were to make up a religious event in a convincing way, this wouldn't be the ideal way to do it in that time period. Secondly, where are his remains? Was he really alive this whole time? Well, no. We know that Jesus died because the Jews asked the Romans to make sure that he died before the Sabbath. So a soldier pierced his side to confirm it, and later Pilate would also confirm it with the centurion. Thirdly, Not only do we have the testimony of the angels, but also Jesus would present himself alive to his disciples. He would even have Doubting Thomas touch the wounds on his body, on his side, and on his hands. And he would also appear to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom were alive during Paul's ministry, and some who were alive during the first, generation of the church after the apostles and later these eyewitnesses would die for the sake of the good news that Jesus has risen from the dead it gave them courage in the midst of persecution because they knew the truth fourthly if this was a big conspiracy planned out by the disciples you would think that the women would have gone around town telling everyone without shame But no, they were trembling and afraid and told no one but his disciples. Now according to Paul, if the resurrection of Christ did not take place and it was all a lie, then my preaching to you today is in vain. It's futile. It means nothing. You should just go home right now. And he says, and our faith is in vain. And as Paul reminds us that we would be misrepresenting God. We would make God a liar. See, this is why we believe that you can't be a Christian and at the same time deny the resurrection of Christ. It is essential to our faith and practice. So what is it that we can learn from this text before we apply it to ourselves Well, first, we would want to consider what this text reveals about Christ and what did he accomplish. First, as already mentioned, it reveals his divine power. It was by his divine power and authority that Christ was raised from the dead. He said, I have the authority to lay my life down and I have the authority to take it up again. And so this means that it is by his divine power and authority that Christ will one day raise everyone. Just as he said when he raised Lazarus from the dead, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Secondly, this was the first step in Christ's exaltation. His state of humiliation consisted of his birth, life, suffering, and death. Now that he rose, this begins his exaltation to glory. Paul says this about his resurrection as it was a royal declaration. That he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ. Our Lord. Thirdly, Jesus has proven to be the firstborn of the dead. Now, this doesn't mean that he is the first to be raised from the dead. We think of Lazarus. Uh, think of those who were raised when Jesus died on the cross. And they went into the holy city and appeared to many. What it means is that he is the first to be raised from the dead. And to never die again. Lazarus and the others would have to die again. But Jesus tasted death for us once, and when he rose, he never tasted death again. Death no longer has dominion over him. It is like that scene in the Chronicles of Narnia, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. I know I quote quote that movie often, but it's such a good movie. When Aslan, who is uh, supposed to be the Jesus character of the story. He steps on the stone table after he had just been killed on it. And it was broken in half to say that death has no dominion over him. That scene always gives me goosebumps every time I see it. In other places, Jesus is called the firstborn of all creation, that is, the new creation. But listen to how Paul relates Him being the firstborn to us. He says, He also predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. The author of Hebrews calls us the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Secondly, with that said, what did Christ accomplish as the firstborn from the dead? Well, first, he conquered death. He conquered death. At this point, I think it is important to be reminded that death is not natural to God's original plan for mankind. Death is an intrusion upon God's creation due to sin. Sin is the cause. Death is the effect. Death is a reality for all of us. But death is also an enemy. Death is not a time for rejoicing. It is a time for mourning. As we realize what it means... Funerals are not to be considered celebrations of life. That is a pagan idea rooted in pagan religion. It is not a celebration of life. I think we have adopted it, many in the Christian church, because we're trying to avoid confronting what death truly means. We have become so flippant and desensitized to death. Like, oh, everybody dies. But do you know what that means when you die? There was a time when Christians actually mourned. And Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. And no, that's not just over sin, but also over the effects of sin over the state of the world and the way it is today. And the fact that death reigns. It reigns over everyone, 100%. Everyone will one day die. Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb because of death. Scripture affirms this reality. There is a time to die And a time to mourn. That's why when the casket closes, there is a sense of finality that comes over us. And grief naturally sets in. And we often forget, death is a curse. We normally don't think of it that way. Pagans would want us to believe that it's just a transitioning into nature somewhere. Death is a curse. And it is a sign that all of mankind is cursed. The curse of death was handed down to us by God and it is a signpost that points to judgment. So when we hear of someone's death or go to a funeral, one of the first thoughts we should have in our mind is judgment. Judgment. So it is not a celebration of life. It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. See, when we lose the sense of the seriousness and the horror and the sorrow that comes with death, we not only lose the ability to sympathize with others. But we also lose the sense of how much we ought to rejoice. Uh, Just like you don't know how good the good news is until you know how bad the bad news is, we lose the sense of how much we ought to rejoice over the fact that Christ has conquered death for us. And we could say with Paul, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? Because he said the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because death is now dead. So now we no longer have to have a slavish fear over death. Because our bodies will not remain in their graves. We no longer have to mourn as those who have no hope we know we will see our loved ones who died in Christ again one day. But this should also instill in us an urgency because of the reality of death and how many will be lost without the gospel of the resurrection of Christ. And secondly, after conquering death, he now holds the power of life and death in his hands. John writes his words as he says, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Meaning, he decides who lives and he decides who dies and when. But the good news is that, thirdly, by his resurrection, he has merited our own resurrection. Christ rose so that we would rise to eternal life and glory. He was exalted so that we would be exalted. The resurrection is a pledge that believers will not be lost in their graves because He offered a complete satisfaction for our sins. The resurrection is the assurance that our sins have been completely paid for and forgiven. Paul says this, that His righteousness will be counted to us who believe in him who was raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We have received a full acquittal and there is nothing that can stand in the way of our own resurrection to eternal life, not even our sins. That is why the angel said to the women, but go tell the disciples, and Peter. So that today we could say, go, tell all who believe that He is risen and that your sins are forgiven. Now if Christ was never raised, Paul says, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. This reinforces the truth that you cannot earn your salvation by your own merits or your good works. Without the resurrection of Christ, your sins have not been paid for, so you would be still in your sins, unholy and facing judgment. doesn't matter how much you repent. If Christ was never raised, you have no hope. You can repent all day long if you want. But the grounds of our repentance... Is the resurrection of Christ. But thanks be to God that through Jesus Christ our Lord, he was raised for our justification and he will deliver us from this body of death. Fourthly, with that said, his resurrection becomes the grounds and pattern of our resurrection. Just as when he died, we died with him according to Paul, we were buried with him by our baptism. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Just as he was raised by the Spirit, we too will be raised by the Spirit, as Paul says, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. He would say to the Ephesians, That it is the same power that God worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand. That is working in you. And think, if it was impossible for Christ to die and not be raised, it will be impossible for you to die and not be raised. And this is why the resurrection is the grounds and it forms the pattern of our own resurrection just as he was raised as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep we too will be raised as first fruits just as paul says in 1st Thessalonians 4 just as he died in weakness and was raised to glory also our bodies will be sown in weakness and will be raised in glory we see this in 1st Corinthians 15 his glory becomes our glory just as he was raised in the same body we too will be raised In the same body. Minus all the flaws. All the defects. All the imperfections. All the aging. I think we won't be old in heaven. I'm banking on it. Just as when Christ was glorified. We too will be glorified. We shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. Now we can answer the question, what should we do in light of this glorious gospel truth of Christ's resurrection? First, be sure that it is Christ that you have trusted in and that you follow. This is the deepest concern of all of life. The deepest concern is whether or not I will be with God for all eternity in a loving fellowship. How will I get there? The answer is the same answer to the question that Mark has been asking us throughout this gospel. Who do you say Jesus is? Well, I'll tell you. He is your only refuge, He is your only support and strength. And through the truth of His resurrection, He has proven to be your ultimate hope in the midst of all of life's troubles, in the midst of all of your sins. And the final agony of death. And he has promised to be with you. He has promised. To intercede for you. So that you would be preserved. And persevere in your faith. His resurrection gives us assurance. Not only of our salvation. But it also assures us. Of his almighty power to save. He rose by the power of God. To eternal life. And he possesses that same power to grant us eternal life. The promise of the resurrection has power to heal our conscience from past sins. Just as the stone was rolled away, our sins have been rolled away. The promise of His resurrection has the power to console and comfort believers when we are in sorrow, when we are grieving over loved ones we have lost, And in our final moments of life. Because there with Christ, there will be no corruption nor death. So, secondly, seek your security in Christ. Because the power of his resurrection is able to cast out fear. It says that Christ's work was to deliver all those through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now, through the resurrection, We no longer have to fear, but rejoice that as soon as we close our eyes in death, we will be with our almighty Savior, who alone has the power to raise us up again. Thirdly, and lastly, live in light of the resurrection. Paul says to the Philippians that he counts all that he has achieved in this life as loss. That he may gain Christ and be found in Him. That he may know Him and the power of His resurrection. His desire was to share in Christ's sufferings and death. That He may rise like Him. So he goes on to say, not that He was already perfect. But He pressed on to make perfection His own. Why? Because Christ has made Him His own. It is from the grace of Christ. Beloved, Christ has made us His own. So we ought to strive for perfection. How? He would say to the Colossians, If you have been raised with Christ, seek and set your minds on the things that are above where Christ is. For you have died with Christ. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. That doesn't mean you become a triumphalist. That doesn't mean you no longer mourn death. In fact, the more spiritually minded you are, the more you do mourn. The more you do grieve. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also... Will appear with him in glory. So he says, Put to death what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Paul closes his letter to the Corinthians with this final charge after he expounded what the resurrection means for them, and this is my charge to you. Therefore, my beloved,